Hello, everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of February 18th to 24th. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. Not a vegetarian friend. <laughs> and Ben Le Moreau. What's up? This has been a big week for Nintendo. At the beginning of the week, we got Nintendo's quarterly financial results briefing, so there has been a ton of news from that. And after the break, we are going to be talking about Amiibo. There is a ton of Amiibo news from this investor briefing, so we're going to be going over some of that, but also we're going to be investigating Nintendo's long-term plans, what we think Amiibo means in the future. So, get ready, guys. The first day sales of Majora's Mask 3D are significantly higher than those of A Link Between Worlds. It sold about 225,000 units in Europe compared to about 150,000 units for A Link Between Worlds. It sold about 350,000 in the United States, which is nearly double the sales of A Link Between Worlds. And in Japan, it sold 230,000 units, landing it at the top of the week's software sales charts and boosting sales for the 3DS family of systems, particularly the new Nintendo 3DS XL, which sold twice as many units this week compared to last. I'm not too surprised that it outsold A Link Between Worlds just because there didn't seem to be a lot of energy behind A Link Between Worlds. Plus, I think Nintendo's played this sort of uh, Return to Roots card a bit too frequently with this series. With the Zelda series? Zelda series, yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that, uh, that Majora's Mask being this like Star Power remake as opposed to them sort of retreading their retro roots. I'm not surprised it had more impact. But I'll be really impressed if it winds up tracking, you know, better than Ocarina of Time over the entire first month that it's on the market. I know it's sold better at launch, but that the sales tend to be front loaded as the install base grows. So it's hard to really gauge how it's going to do long term. But, uh, you know, since Ocarina of Time 3D is the best selling Zelda remake so far, it'd be really encouraging if it actually even came close to that. So Ocarina of Time 3D, of course, launched when the Nintendo 3DS had a just miserable install base before the price was slashed and uh, sales skyrocketed. I mean, I think that just by nature of how many people own a 3DS, Majora's Mask 3D's launch month is going to outsell Ocarina of Times by a lot. I mean, when you when you factor in the front-loaded sales for the first week or two, then yeah, almost definitely the first month like total will be higher. What do you mean front-load sales? Uh, like the first week might be double the first week of Ocarina of Time, but then you look at the subsequent weeks and those may or may not be skewed oh, that, that way. I think it's interesting when you look at like the cultural divide because in Japan, the amount that Majora's Mask 3D sold at launch versus A Link Between Worlds sold at launch is almost identical. It's 230,000 units to 224,000 units. So I think a big reason behind the uh, global improved sales is maybe uh, things like Operation Moonfall. I think there was just a lot more hype for Majora's Mask in the West than there was in Japan where it's like, oh, you know, we like this game. It's nice that it's being remade, but it, it was kind of like a big media event almost in America and Europe because it was something that fans have been petitioning for for so long. And I, I'm not sure how sustainable those sales are going to be long term. I don't think that Majora's Mask 3D goes on to sell as much as Ocarina of Time 3D does because I think a lot of it was just that that hype of people have been wanting it for years and now it's out and they're all rushing to get it. But I don't Yeah, know and that, I, that's a good point. And I think it also really um, plays into well with the sort of analysis of, of Majora's Mask that has been going on at like Zelda fan sites. Um, people read really closely into the game and that's great. That, I think, has helped glorify Majora's Mask as a game uh, in Western territories that, that the Japanese audiences probably have not seen the same way. And Nintendo's digital software sales are now stronger than ever. They make up 11% of all of Nintendo's software sales. Uh, over the past year, the biggest shift has happened in North America and Europe. So at this time last year, America accounted for about 35% of their digital software sales. But now America accounts for about 50%. Because of this growth, 
Japan, which used to account for 45% of sales, now only accounts for 30. So I guess the really impressive thing about the the digital sales growth is that they're picking up despite Nintendo still not really inspiring much confidence in people in their account system when it comes to digital purchases. So for example, cross-buy or the idea that they'll be able, people will be able to play their games on the next console. On the flip side, I think a lot of that has to do with these games that are doing pretty well in the West, like uh, Mario Kart 8 and Hyrule Warriors uh, having DLC. And so DLC certainly uh, factors into their digital sales. They're not just counting digital package software sales. They're, they're, it's all the digital revenues they're making across all their software content. Yeah, I'm not particularly surprised or impressed by the fact that their their software sales digitally have hit a new high just because Nintendo has done so little to promote them in the past, and it's just within the last couple of years that it seems like they're really starting to make an effort towards it. And I think there's still a long way to go, but like Alex said, you know, we're starting to see DLC for Mario Kart and Hyrule Warriors and things like that. So I think it's it's almost by default that their sales are going to be higher this year than ever before digitally, just because it's it's for the first time ever they're starting to make a push. And hopefully that push continues into the future and we see, you know, better deals offered, more incentive for people to buy digitally, better DLC packs and things like that. Uh, so on the hardware side, the new Nintendo 3DS XL outsold the original XL by a very slim margin when looking at U.S. launch sales. Uh, in Europe, however, the original XL still outsold the more recent models. Not too surprising. First of all, the original XL launched at what normally might have been the uh, expected point at which sales would be increasing. So the fact that uh, it outsold the original XL by a very slim margin just kind of goes to show that uh, it's being released late, and so it's getting those front-ended sales, uh, kind of like we were talking about with software, except for with hardware. It's really the the hardcore owners that are going to be rebuying the new models. Plus, not only that, but I think the sales range that it hit, which uh, coming up on uh, 200,000 units for the launch week, it's about uh, about in line with what you'd kind of expect for the baseline for the higher-end Nintendo hardware. So we're talking handhelds that are in the $200 range or consoles like Wii U that are 300 and above. Uh, that's kind of a price point that they haven't really hit until this generation, but uh, they've been pretty consistent about uh, how the sales have been when they've been introducing these higher Yeah, I feel machines. like it, it makes sense that new 3DS should sell higher at launch than the XL did because the XL, I mean, it's it's just that. It's just a bigger model, whereas new 3DS, you know, it has, it has more features and everything. But I don't think it came anywhere near hitting its launch potential for several reasons. Uh, I don't think there was a killer app that launched alongside it. There was in Japan with, like, you know, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate and things like that, but I don't think there was I any... I mean, people in the West don't like Monster Hunter? <laughs> Are you telling me that Monster Hunter doesn't do well in the West? That can't possibly be right. What? <laughs> and then also, I think the fact that it didn't launch in time for the holiday season was a, a big reason why mm. it didn't sell as much as it could have. But they were looking to avoid shortages, Ben. Yeah, well, mission accomplished there, right? <laughs> Alright, so meanwhile, though, Wii U's year-end sales are pretty much the same as last year's, despite Smash Bros despite Mario Kart, despite a lot of killer software that I would have expected really would push the Wii U's sales numbers this holiday season. Well, it's troubling that not only are these consoles not really pushing sales, but it seems like they're basically keeping the thing on life support. You know, the narrative this year was that Wii U is growing, but that, you know, your growth has been small throughout the rest of the year, but it hasn't hasn't made that the impact with the mainstream holiday buyer that it would would need to, to to really grow. Yeah, so there's this actually, that's an interesting point. There's um, an analyst firm who sort of said that Wii U is making a comeback, but uh, you, and you can look this article up at Gamnesia.com uh, for the listeners. Um, 
but the graph for the Wii U's growth, it had already peaked and it was it was sort of leveling out and declining. So year long 2014 was a slightly better sales year for Wii U than 2013 was, but the holiday season it actually sold a few thousand units less. And a stat that I find kind of bewildering is Wii U's best Christmas season was its first, when it was brand new right out the market. And it didn't even have Pikmin yet? Yeah, right. <laughs> and what it wow. sold what it sold in that first holiday season is a little bit less than what it sold in the next two combined. Oh my god. Jeez. Yeah, it, it sold about... Well, that's, that's another example of the front-ended sales trend that we've been seeing. Yeah. Right. Wow, I've done my research on this, and I didn't even realize that the Wii U was selling that poorly. Well, that was the real shocking thing, was after launch, you know, or when it first launched, you'd think, oh, this these are these are pretty good sales, and then as soon as the launch was over, it's like, oh man, it right. hit rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, wow. And, and Wii U's first launch window, just from, uh, what it was, was it November 18th or something that it launched? Yeah. From, from then until the end of the year, it sold just over 3 million units, and now in each of the past two holiday seasons, it's sold 1.9 million in each. So, mm. 3 million its first Christmas, 3.8 million in its next two Christmases combined. So well, they not just... only that, but 3 million is like a third of its total sales at this Right, point. exactly. Yeah. And that's right at launch. Well, this... Wow. Let's, let's move on to... Uh... <laughs> Nintendo is looking to push local multiplayer for Nintendo 3DS in Western territories. Um, Iwata says that the local multiplayer for Pokemon, Monster Hunter, and Yokai Watch has helped the 3DS's growth in Japan, and they want to extend that effect worldwide. I definitely think there's merit to this, but I'm concerned that the local multiplayer and online multiplayer to Nintendo are mutually exclusive on handhelds, and as a result that they won't put much effort into good online modes. So if you look at the past, you know, the only games that we've really seen pull off both successfully are Mario Kart 7 and Super Smash Bros. And both of those games' online modes are essentially single-player with more realistic opponents. But many of their games, like Luigi's Mansion 2, for example, they feature online multiplayer that just recycles the local multiplayer modes. So unless you're, like, with your friends on Skype or something, you're not talking with these people that you're playing with. You're not exploring with them. You're not, you're not really playing with them. You're just occupying the same space in game and that's not as fun because those multiplayer modes were built for interaction they weren't built for isolation and then we have games like mario party island tour uh that's it's mario party it's it's literally made for multiplayer and it doesn't even have online play um it's local or nothing and honestly i feel like here in the states most people are going to choose nothing so, I mean, I love local multiplayer, and I do hope they support it well, but I just, I hope it doesn't come at the expense of online play. I mean, I think I agree. I mean, I'm not even sure you could say local multiplayer is a strength of handhelds. Which is shocking why why they want to push it so hard. Right. Well, they, I think they're looking at games like Pokemon and thinking that that is somehow replicable across games that aren't really like Pokemon. Because uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the, the three games that are, are what I referred to, were they're all RPGs, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to try to apply what's working with RPGs to other genres, I'm not sure it's going to work as well because the interactions in RPGs are very different than the interactions in games like Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that attempting to push local multiplayer is anything that's going to help improve sales in the West. You know, maybe that's something that they've had some limited success with in Japan, but I just, I don't see any way where that improves sales. But if you are going to push it, I don't think it should be taking games that would be better off with a good online multiplayer mode and instead giving them a local multiplayer mode. I think you need to 
to build something from the ground up designed for that. You know, like Alex said, it works pretty well with Pokemon, but you can't just shoehorn that into any other game. It's got to be stuff that's similar to that, stuff that has the similar appeal to Pokemon, where you'd want to, you know, get together with your friends and trade or interact, because otherwise, local multiplayer on handhelds is, it's just not something that is has broad appeal anymore. Right. And it's it's strange to me too because, you know, there's there's the element of of sales and them wanting to push local multiplayer in order to improve sales. But then there's also the element of just fun and making good games. And I feel like their motivations for making local multiplayer is not what it should be. I th- I feel like they should be motivated to make local multiplayer modes good in order to improve sales, but I think I th- just the language that he uses give me gives me the sense that they're really just trying to shove out whatever local multiplayer features they can uh, and not not designing local multiplayer modes from the ground up to facilitate an actual enjoyable local multiplayer experience yeah it's it seems like they're they're relying on it as a pillar for growth and it's it's troubling that they're looking at Japan and partic- in particular Japan handheld trends and trying to apply those globally because if there's anything we know about handhelds in Japan, it's that the consumption is very different than it is anywhere else in the world. Absolutely, because it's so densely populated. And they're all—it's—it's it's a trained commuter culture, so you, people have time to play their handhelds. Right. So Nintendo TV will not be coming to Europe after all. Uh, the service was in development for a long time, but Nintendo of Europe has finally pulled the plug due to the vast and varied troubles that come with assimilating so many services and so many licenses into a unified ecosystem. So when I first heard the story, I thought, "What's Nintendo TV?" Because it just became so insignificant that I literally didn't recognize it. Um, But the only thing that I'm surprised about here is that it was in development in Europe all this time. And given that it was, I'm not surprised that it's been canceled at this point. Yeah, I remember how much they kind of hyped it at launch when it first came out. You know, it was going to be a great way to organize all your TV shows and make everything user-friendly. And it was. And it looked it, like it was going to be so... It was so promising. Yeah, and I I had completely forgotten about it, too, at this point. I saw that headline pop, and, was, and I was like, oh, Nintendo TV. You know, that's, uh, that's a thing. I almost completely forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope they revisit the concept in the future, because it, it's a great idea, and I think Nintendo really had a great opportunity to do it and, and make it really a, a fantastic experience with the Wii U. But it was just... The UI was just clunky, and I really that was really the limiting factor for me. Well, it's, it's just another chapter in Nintendo's history of services that don't quite live up. They've never really been good at the online services thing. Uh, and it's also it, it was also a challenge, I think, that you know it seems like today the, the TV platforms people want to use are the ones that provide them with really great content. And Nintendo TV doesn't really offer content. It's just a... It, it, it assimilates it, it all is, into exactly. one platform, which I think is fantastic. It's valuable, but uh, you if, have to really could, do it right. If I could, I would right. use Nintendo TV. Right, that's the thing. And they do it okay. They don't yeah, do it Yeah, it's just right. okay. It was it was good for me when I first got a Wii U because I had no cable box, but now that I kind of moved on to to different TV consumption habits, it's it doesn't meet my needs anymore. He's evolved beyond Nintendo TV. Nintendo is surprised and impressed at how successful Tamodachi Life has been worldwide. They're particularly impressed with its impact outside of Japan, where it was the first title in the previously unestablished franchise, whereas in Japan they had had the prior Tamodachi Life game on uh, the Nintendo DS. In Europe especially, it's been outselling Animal Crossing New Leaf pretty steadily, and its sales in France alone are stronger than its sales in all of the US. 
In Europe, there was even a pink Nintendo 2DS bundled with Tamodachi Life, which Nintendo says has done a remarkable job attracting young female customers, and as a result, made the 2DS account for nearly half of all Europe's 3DS sales this year. I mean, on the one hand, it's a it's a good case study for how Nintendo shouldn't really worry too much about restricting its games to a single region. I mean, that's their big thing, is they make games that are at least fun enough to be somewhat appealing on a global level, uh, even if they're not all going to be smash hits around the world. On the other hand, it shows that this genre, this sort of life simulator genre, is is one that is consistently strong for them. Yeah, and I hope Nintendo is able to look at this and see how successful this title. You know, it's kind of a weird game. It's not really something you might... By the power of waffles! <laughs> all hail the virtual boy. <laughs> but... I hope they're able to look at this and see that maybe, you know, it's worth bringing up some of those more obscure games and taking them outside of Japan, localizing them to Europe, localizing them to North America, and not just sitting on them in Japan and saying, well, you know, we're not sure how the West will receive them, because Tamodachi Life has been received incredibly well, so hopefully that translates to more games being localized. Like Mother 3? (laughs) No, we can't get your hopes up that high. Every time I think about Mother 3, I just get sad. (laughs) In this investor meeting, Iwata hinted that there are more Wii U games coming in 2015 that they have not yet announced. We know nothing about these unannounced titles, but they did come during a slide that talks about gamepad use and user-generated content, for example the shareable levels in Mario Maker. So they may have something to do with that. As far as Wii U games that I think might actually be coming, I think they might finally be ready to unveil a Metroid. Metroid! And the reason why I say Metroid, they've been hinting for a while that there be releasing more games for advanced gamers. Uh, they sort of started that push last year with games like Hyrule Warriors and Smash Bros. And they seem to be continuing this, continuing it this year with Xenoblade and Zelda. It, I don't necessarily think that means it'll actually show up this year, but I think it'll be announced. I, I agree with Alex that Metroid is a definite possibility because they're releasing some more mature titles this year. Not mature literally as in rated M. But it's been a while since we've heard anything from the Metroid franchise. But the game I'm kind of looking to see if they announce is a Paper Mario for Wii U. Yes. Back at the end of 2013, someone who works for Intelligent Systems, which is the team that makes Paper Mario, he put on his LinkedIn profile that he was working on an unannounced Wii U game. So that's been about a year and a half since he added that to his resume. And, you know, these kinds of things. Was, at that time, was uh, Shin Megami Tensei X Fire Emblem Yeah, announced? Yeah, that had already been teased okay. at that point. Okay. So... I mean, and there's no guarantee that whatever this mystery game is is still in development because, you know, games get started and stopped all right. the time. But but if, if Intelligent Systems is still working on a Wii U title, I think Paper Mario is a pretty good candidate. And that's something that I could see making use of the gamepad because, you know, we saw how Sticker Star made use of the, the bottom 3DS screen. Not necessarily in the best way possible, but that's something they could try to recreate with the gamepad, which would fit in with what Iwata said about using about more more games that make use of the gamepad. Uh, I agree with you guys. I think I don't know whether or not they would release it this year, but I do think that they're going to show off a new Metroid at E3 this year, whether it's 3DS or or Wii at least U. they'll talk about it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I, I, I yeah. I don't mean necessarily a trailer and it'll be on the show floor and everything. People keep asking them about it, so it's it's inevitable, inevitable I think. Likewise, there are more unannounced third-party games coming to 3DS. But more importantly, Iwata shows interest in helping third-party developers promote their games in Western territories, which will, as Iwata says, create new opportunities. So you can bet that we'll see Nintendo promoting Yokai Watch when it comes west, uh, Bravely Second, likely some others. Yeah, a lot of what he said was specifically in regards to a lot of Japan-only titles. 
So I'm sure this is going to be a lot more. We'll, we'll see more RPGs or maybe, you know, life simulator type games. I mean, I, I, it's hard to say how many of these will actually be localized, but with him looking to help third-party developers, you know, publish their games and publicize their games in the West, maybe we'll start to see more of that. Now, if only they could have shown this interest toward big Western studios on Wii U back when that thing was launching and not just had this token, here, you can port our games now or port your games to our system now because we have <laughs> two control sticks. And finally, the last news from the investor meeting Iwata revealed that next quarter they will reveal plans for many big changes at Nintendo, including their quality of life plans, their smartphone plans, and aggressive IP licensing. So we will be on the lookout for that information at their next financial briefing. We have new trailers for Pokémon Tournament, Xenoblade Chronicles X, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3D. There is nothing terribly interesting in any of them that we haven't seen before, but do feel free to check them out if you'd like. There's also a new trailer for Puzzle & Dragon Super Mario Edition, which reveals new gameplay information, but we're not gonna waste our time on that. <laughs> Crucify me if you want. If you really like Puzzle and Dragons, feel free to send me all the hate mail you can. As far as podcast goes, uh, please understand. <laughs> <laughs> Star Fox U will have multiple control options. The most recent issue of Game Informer confirms that you can play either with the analog sticks or motion controls, so if you were worried that the game would be a little too gimmicky for your tastes, you can put that fear to rest. At least in terms of control schemes. I mean, this has kind of been the, the unsung killer feature of Wii U, is you can play pretty much any Nintendo franchise that's shown up in any way that you want. It really surprised me, actually, that they weren't selling that feature uh, when the game, the console first launched, they had that lame "how you will play next" marketing slogan that I don't think resonated with anyone. But instead, they could have said something like "play the way you want." Well, we've established already that they don't hire advertising firms for anything. <laughs> well, I'll say I think it's you know it's nice that you have the choice to play with or without motion controls, but I don't know if that is honestly the problem that people are going to have with Star Fox U because what they've said about it is the TV screen is going to display the normal like third person view where you can see your ship and everything. Thing, and then the gamepad is going to be in cockpit mode and that the game's going to be designed where you're going to want to look at both screens it's going to be advantageous to look at the gamepad at times and it's going to be advantageous to look at the the television screen at sometimes so while it's nice that it won't be you know motion controls only i think it's still going to probably be too gimmicky for some people i think people are going to have a hard time like figuring out which screen they should look at when i think it's, it's going to provide some really cool gameplay opportunities and i'm excited for it but I, I think either way, this game is going to end up alienating some fans that just want a simpler control scheme. There was a strike going on for a long time at one of the major ports coming into the West Coast from Japan. Uh, the details on the strike itself aren't really relevant here, but what is important to us is that the strike is partly to blame for the intense shortages of stock Nintendo's been seeing in America. However, the strike is on the brink of resolution, so we may see things improve soon. Uh, I personally kind of feel like Nintendo is using the strike as an excuse to say we totally made enough amiibo but we just couldn't ship them all in however that said you know japan and europe they have not been having stock shortages so you never know i kind of feel like the issue is two ways and not really entirely to blame on the well at the strike. same time amiibo is nowhere near as popular in Europe or Japan, or as it is in America, because North America makes up 63% of Amiibo sales so far. So they don't they don't have to ship as many to Japan or to Europe to, to meet the demand, because the demand is much smaller there. A fan has conducted a study of which characters Japanese gamers want to see as DLC in the latest Super Smash Bros. In a landslide, veteran fighters won the poll. In order, Lucas, Wolf, Snake, a solo ice climber, Roy and Pichu made the top six most wanted characters. 
Ivysaur and Squirtle were way down the list, and Young Link, sorry guys, didn't make it at all. The highest rated newcomer was King K. Rule, who was right behind Pichu in the poll, so he was the number seven most requested character. He was followed by Crystal from Star Fox, Ridley, Dixie Kong, and finally a tie between Paper Mario and Ray, the robot from Custom Robo. We could go on for a while about which characters made the list at lower tiers, but for time's sake, we're just going to recommend you go to Gamnesia.com to check out the findings. Uh, what do you guys think? We know Japanese fans have a lot more sway in the roster than Western fans. Uh, do you think these tastes are going to influence which characters are DLC, assuming we get any DLC at all? I mean, if you look at Japan's taste, I mean, Lucas could make it in. Roy could make it in. Not that we need any more Marth clones, but I think he's a popular enough veteran that he might have a shot. He is my boy. And- my boy. <laughs> And then Wolf uh, adds some diversity to that Star Fox lineup. So I think as far as veterans go, they're the, they're the standout possible. I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I think Falco should have been cut over Wolf. Uh, I, I'm actually inclined to agree with you um, f- from a from a moveset perspective. And I know... I know hard well, not even smash. from a moveset perspective. I think just from a character perspective, like all he's done is he existed. Like he didn't really do anything to get into Smash Bros. in the first place. Whereas Wolf was like no, but the... He, 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 was the uh, he was the lone guy who left the team for a while and then came back in your dinosaur game. <laughs> I'm also kind of surprised to see uh, K. Rool and Dixie Kong on the list because from what I understand, uh, Japan or Japanese players tend to see Smash Bros. as a very like uh, Japanese pride sort of game where they're, <laughs> they're happy to celebrate the Japanese characters that are created Whereas in Japan. Whereas the West uh, says, I don't want any more of this animation. <laughs> I saw a great picture of Captain Falcon beating, I think it was Shulk, Robin, and Lucina, and the caption was, I don't lose to anime. <laughs> and of course... Was it Captain Falcon? Yeah, he yes. had an anime. Because that's hysterical. Um, anyway, so I, I would actually counter that point by saying simply, I definitely see that, but also Donkey Kong is Nintendo's, what, it's their fourth biggest franchise, I believe, um, and it only has two playable characters when there really are at least five playable characters who would have viable movesets in Smash. Um, so it, it's it's a little absurd that such a massive IP only has two representatives. At least in the case of Metroid, like, there's at least an argument to be made that, like, Ridley couldn't get in, or, like, Dark Samus is just a clone, or... Well, Metroid isn't really a character game. Exactly. It's Whereas Samus Donkey Kong really, really is. So yeah, I I definitely agree. I could easily see like a melee pack this this spring that has like Mewtwo, Roy, and Popo, um, and then like a brawl pack later in the year that has like Lucas, Wolf, and uh, who who else was maybe just Lucas and Wolf. So the producer of Captain Toad has reiterated that he'd like to see Captain Toad in more adventures in the future. He even emailed the director of Mario Kart about including Captain Toad somewhere down the line. I would love to see Captain Toad as Mario Kart DLC. He could ride in a minecart. How freaking awesome would that be? Right? And I would also love to see literally any Mario character that isn't a baby or a turtle. How do you feel about (laughs) baby turtles? I have a whole rant about... (laughs) About characters that, that, you know, got the short end of the stick shift. Oh, I've heard hey, that, Reyes. Car jokes. I've heard this rant, too. <laughs> and probably on a completely separate occasion. <laughs> probably. That's a discussion for another time. Yeah, he should have emailed, he should have emailed Sakurai. Because uh, Captain Toad would be a great, diverse addition to the Smash Bros. Line. You know, I feel like you're being sarcastic, and I don't approve of that, because I think Captain <laughs> Toad would be a great addition. In, in our podcast planning document, Alex... In fact, says insert general heckling of Ben. Um, yeah, so so a little background on on Ben and Captain Toad. So last year at E3, 
Ben shows up at my house and he says, Captain Toad, game of the year. <laughs> and so that became like, he, he met a few of my friends that day and that's like the one thing that they remember. <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm glad. That's the impression I would like to yeah, leave. And, and, and my wife too. Every time we talk about you, we, we mentioned Captain Toad. Um, that was, he, he didn't I only say that I at your house, Captain Alex. Toad, he said that way. all the time during E3. Every dinner we had, every we recorded like a podcast with Gen Game staff. Like every time he just was always saying, Captain Toad, game of the year. <laughs> So, so what we really need, I guess, is a Captain Toad party. Yes, yes I would I so be down for that. Time for adventure! <laughs> anyway. Upcoming dates. Ironfall Invasion, the third-person shooter we talked about in the first episode of Nintendo Week, launches on February 26th, so you can pick that up if you're interested. And Kirby and the Rainbow Curse launched just a few days ago on February 20th. So if you're looking for a fun little game for your Wii U, be sure to check it out. I don't think none of us here have had the chance to play it yet, have we? Besides no. E3. So some other general facts and reminders. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X is 22.7 gigabytes large, which is over two-thirds the storage space on the Wii U Deluxe model's hard drive. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3D is 3.6 gigabytes, which is almost the entire storage space on a new Nintendo 3DS if you didn't upgrade the SD card. Actually, I would say it is, isn't it? Because the, the system stuff takes up some space, too. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's true, yeah. So if you're thinking of buying either game, you'd be doing yourself a favor to buy physical copies rather than the downloadable digital ones. And as a side note, uh, you know, even if you're going to be buying a physical version of Xenoblade X, they're strongly encouraging you to to do an install of the map data so that you can have a seamless world exploration experience. So you'll still have a pretty hefty install. Uh, sadly, we don't know how big that'll be, but uh, we'll find out and let you know as soon as we know. And a new speedrunning world record has been set for Animal Crossing. The record is now 71 hours, which speaks to how long a game Animal Crossing really is. Yeah, um, I'd like to know what an Animal Crossing speedrun <laughs> is. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I, I believe it's, you know, getting all the fossils, getting all the kinds of like so all the all the collectibles is there thing? like a, a save the animals versus kill the animals option like there's with metroid <laughs> that's really what the shovel's for isn't it the fossils came from somewhere so <laughs> i loved that sakurai said that they considered putting villager in brawl but decided that he didn't look enough like a fighter and now he's got this whole like mythos around him that he's a, a yeah, total murderous psychopath <laughs> All right, guys, so that's all the news. After the break, we will be back to discuss Amiibo, so do stay tuned. everybody we are back from the break i hope you enjoyed the break music that was clock town by patty rudsil and Kristen nigus i hope i didn't butcher your names guys i'm so sorry um colin you're a terrible friend you can check it out on youtube if you want to see the full version so we are back i am your host colin mcisaac i'm joined by alex plant yay and ben lamoreau hello to discuss 
Amiibo. So, between regular news and Nintendo's financial briefing this week, we learned a lot about Amiibo. So, the three of us are going to try to piece together some clues from what we've already seen and what we've learned this week to figure out what Nintendo's long-term plan is. So, first, let's have a quick recap of the Amiibo news we learned this week. First off, Nintendo did not expect the Amiibo shortage were having to be so bad. They are aware of the scalping going on, but they don't really say any more than that. Nintendo not expecting this is likely a mix of underestimating demand and the problem with the port strike we mentioned earlier, but that they're aware of the problem hopefully means that they see the excess demand and will reprint figures in order to meet it. You may remember that they're reprinting Marth soon, and Iwata did say at the investors meeting that they might reprint certain amiibo. Reprinting depends on whether they sell out quickly in their initial run, and they're crucial to playing a certain game. So, unfortunately, don't take this to mean that Wii Fit Trainer is going to come back anytime soon. Iwata also reconfirmed that Nintendo is developing Amiibo cards. These cards will have the same NFC functionality as the figures, and in the past, Miyamoto suggested that they could use these cheaper cards to replace some of the figures that are no longer in production. Nintendo has also mused that they could build a card game around them, so they really open up a lot of possibilities there. Nintendo is also planning to release an app that contains demos of several games that are available on Virtual Console, where scanning an amiibo would let you play a famous scene from these games for a short time. For example, scanning a Samus amiibo might put you at the Ridley fight from the beginning of Super Metroid, while scanning a Little Mac amiibo could throw you into the fight against King Hippo. Nintendo is planning on making limited edition amiibo, and not limited in the sense that we've been seeing for the past few months, limited in the sense that they are deliberately going to be released one time only, with limited supply, and never reprint again. It seems that the recently leaked gold and silver Mario amiibos might be the first of these limited edition figures. An ad recently revealed that at least the gold amiibo is in fact real, and it's exclusive to Walmart. So not only does it seem to be limited in quantity, but it's also limited to one retailer, which as those of you who've been following Amiibo know, is gonna be a big double whammy. So, let's open up the discussion. What is happening with Amiibo? Could I be any more vague? <laughs> Will I stop asking questions? Yeah, so I guess the, the first question we wanna see answered is what they're gonna be doing with restocks. Because their plan seems to be, we'll keep using these figures in multiple games over time. So for example, we have Smash Bros. Amiibo, which are also compatible with Mario Party or Hyrule Warriors or Codename Steam. Uh, some of them are featured in a kind of more prominent way, so certain Amiibo will be more important than others in certain games. But at the same time, that means that when those games become available, the Amiibo ideally should also be available so that people who want to take advantage of that functionality can use the characters that they want. Uh, and it'd be kind of a shame if that was limited to these cards that they're talking about. Uh, it'd be nice to see reprints of the figures that come out alongside the games that they accompany. Yeah, the cards honestly don't seem like they're going to have nearly the same physical satisfaction of the physical figures. Um, I didn't mean physical satisfaction. But the joy of having little figures on your desk, as opposed to just like a stack of cards that you can't see when they're stacked up anyway. I'm sure we'll see Nintendo start to restock some of the more important ones or maybe some of the more popular ones, but I think they're, they're going to let a lot of them just sort of run out. There was uh, another story, I think it was yesterday, we had an analyst, Lewis Ward, who is 
spoken with a lot of Nintendo executives. His viewpoint on this essentially is Nintendo's not intentionally causing shortages, but they're very pleased with them. He said, uh, I don't think Nintendo views it as a bad thing when certain items sell out. I've sat down with several Nintendo executives over the years who've said in passing that this or that is currently sold out, and they always say it with a twinkle in their eye rather than with contrition. And I think, you know, that's that's something that we're seeing here is that Nintendo is joining this whole sold-out frenzy for Amiibo, and I think they're going to leave quite a few of them sold out because it's it's a great media buzz. But for how long, you know, how how long, I wonder... Does the product being sold out and people wanting more of the product justified not making the product? Because the longer you make people want the product, A, the more profits you're missing out on by making and selling the product, and B, the more people you're actively keeping unhappy. Well, I think right. the idea is you let some of these early Amiibos sell out and stay sold out, and then in the future you release larger stocks and there's going to be you know, this this buying frenzy where people are worried that they're going to sell out again. So then, you know, you, you sacrifice sales in the short term in order to create uh, a buying frenzy that creates bigger sales for later batches of Amiibo in the future. Doesn't sit right with me because I'm an entitled Nintendo fan. <laughs> and I really want my my Martha Amiibo. I could see on the flip side when, where people who, for some reason, couldn't get or had to rush out to get an Amiibo that was limited in quantity. And then suddenly they, they either find that their limited amiibo isn't really usable in that many games or they want to use it and they don't have it uh, i could see that causing be a really bad consumer goodwill when people find that amiibo just isn't isn't accessible to them or isn't really worth it to them well i think i think the worth of amiibo isn't being compatible with games this is something that i don't think a lot of people are really talking about the right way because amiibo like it's good that they have value uh, beyond just the physical figures but let's be honest, their real value is having physical figurines of your favorite Nintendo characters. Their value isn't unlocking a new scarf in Hyrule Warriors. Va their value is being able to look at this pretty little stand with Little Mac on it and say, I really like Little Mac. This looks awesome sitting next to my computer. I think that depends a little on the person because I know you're quite a bit of a collector, Colin, but I'm, I'm on the complete opposite side. I'm not. So, like, I bought a Pikachu Amiibo when I got Smash Bros., and, you know, I played the hell out of it, leveled it up to level 50, played it against some of my friends, and then went, okay, you know, I've gotten some fun out of this, I need to buy some new games, I'm just gonna trade this in on my next trip to GameStop. Because to me, having it as a collectible just, it doesn't really give me that much value. I actually did want it specifically for the gameplay value. See, perhaps that's true, but I don't think that Amiibo are made to be valuable gameplay enhancing items. I think they're made to be collector's items. And that's, that's, I think, the difference is they're collector's items with gameplay value tacked on. Um, and so I don't, think it's, I don't think it's wrong for them, for their gameplay value to feel tacked on because it is tacked on. I mean, I, think it's, I, I don't think it's supposed to be like Skylanders or Disney Infinity where they're really integral to their games. I think it's supposed to be something else. That might be true, but in the end, I think that's going to limit the impact of Amiibo. I agree with you on that for sure. Right, because Skylanders, you can count on your figures working across every Skylanders game, uh, and they'll all be sort of used to the same extent the set they're released with on. So you don't have to worry about your Skylanders losing value or not being as valuable as some other Skylanders figurines. Uh, with Amiibo, it seems like the value comes more from the scarcity and less from uh, the usefulness or the coolness of the character, per se. And I think that's going to be a problem for Nintendo if they really plan to use Amiibo as a way to create connections between fans and their characters or fans and their games. I will say this, Colin. At this point in time, what we've seen Amiibo used for, I would agree that right now they have more value 
as a collector's item than they do as adding game experience. And I think that's something that it'll be interesting to see whether that continues as a trend or whether Nintendo changes that. Because we haven't really seen any game that really makes Amiibo important. Smash Bros. is the one that uses them the most at this point in time. And it looks like Mario Party 10 might use them about the same amount or a little more, you know, depending on how you view it. But we haven't really had that game that makes that, you know, Amiibo's a must-have. We haven't had a Skylanders-type game. And if Nintendo does go down that road, I think Pokemon is the franchise to do it with. So really, you think Pokemon is the game that they're gonna that they're gonna uh, strong arm Amiibo with? Yeah. If if there was gonna be a game that is Amiibo centric and that really makes you say, you know, here's your value for Amiibos as a gameplay experience, I think Pokemon is the one to go down. Is the is the road to go down because it's already you know a collectathon as it is, and they've even talked about you know Amiibos as cards. And that's something that yeah. works very well with friend, with the Pokemon franchise The Amiibo as well. cards definitely gave me an image of, like, Pokemon trading card game. So I'm not sure at this point if Nintendo is going to treat Amiibo long-term like more of a collector's item with a little bit of game value or more uh, as a game accessory with collector's value. But if, if it's the latter, then I think Pokemon is the franchise that you really use to, to boost Amiibo's value as a gameplay accessory. Like, th- I think that's a valid point. But I would actually say that they would make a specific amiibo game. Because the issue I see with making Pokemon the game that really highlights amiibo is that amiibo to me, and I think to. I think it's fair to say to most people who um, buy and follow amiibo, uh, and really most people who follow Nintendo news at all, is that amiibo is really a line of Nintendo characters and the, the Nintendo greats, and not so much a line of like specific franchises. And. If they strong arm it with a game of a specific franchise rather than like say Super Smash Bros, which is a celebration of different franchises, I think that it would get dangerously close to becoming a product of say Pokemon, for example, especially given how many Pokemon there are that they can make Amiibo out of. (laughs) All of them. So, you know, I, I really imagine more something like something like Smash Bros in that it celebrates so many different franchises and incorporates all these different aspects of Nintendo into one rather than than putting Amiibo onto a pre-existing franchise that has a lot of characters that could be made into Amiibo. I, I would think they would take the Amiibo that sort of exist and sort of like the Smash Bros. roster, plus maybe like, you know, more characters, maybe like King K. Rool and Dixie Kong, um, Captain Toad, yeah, Captain Toad, like Splatoon Inklings and stuff, like Waluigi maybe, yeah. and make a game with those kinds of characters all mixed into this sort of Nintendo melting pot. I'm more inclined to agree with Colin as far as them not pushing Amiibo on a particular franchise, only because it seems like their their stated objective is to make a platform where figurines are usable across many different games. And it seems like having a line, and I think we can all agree that a Pokemon line of Amiibo would have to be dedicated to Pokemon games. It couldn't be right. a cross-franchise sort of venture uh so i think that would kind of run contrary to what their their goals are for amiibo um i'm not sure i agree with colin that they're gonna push too hard into the big melting pot idea only because uh it seems like the best way to get a lot of use out of certain figurines is to have them then be applicable outside of a game like smash bros and in games of their own franchise so we might see a zelda game where the zelda amiibo are useful so i think we might see something more uh more in line with that and maybe less in line with games that are like smash bros where all of them are used in a meaningful way um so you don't think for example uh there might be a game in the future 
that's like Nintendo Kart, where it's like Mario Kart, but every amiibo unlocks a different character in like a Skylanders kind of way. I'm I'm inclined to say no, only because I don't think they're particularly interested in making lots of toys to life games per se. I think they're more interested in making games and then having merchandising that enhances the games, mm. whereas a toys to life game would be more of a a specific meat. Right, it would really more move. follow the sky, the Skylanders right. kind of. Model. And along that point, Nintendo has been very careful with DLC. You know, they were pretty much opposed to it for the longest time, and then when they finally started doing it, a big point was we want to make sure our games feel like they're complete at launch when you buy them, and then any kind of DLC is just added which is on. why their first DLC venture became Mario Galaxy Two. <laughs> that's not even a joke. Like for for our yes, listeners, just true. to be clear, that's like actually Mario Galaxy Two started as DLC, and then they decided that uh, they wouldn't be right to sell it that way. They wanted to make it something that was special, not to be yeah. So it, it's literally ingrained into their philosophy that they want DLC to feel like a complete experience. So I don't think that uh, we'll see a game exactly like Skylanders where buying a figurine unlocks a character because that's too close to, you mm-hmm. know, having essential DLC that you need to download to get the full game experience. Right, so, and they've talked a lot about wanting to differentiate themselves from Skylanders and Disney Infinity. Right. So they, they I don't think they would take active steps to, to make themselves more like that model. Right, and that loops back around to their discussion of they want Amiibo to be this thing where you don't buy a game for your Amiibo, you buy Amiibo for your games. Mm. So they talked about cards, and I'm not sure how I feel about cards. Uh, we've sort of alluded to this before, but it seems like the the value of toys to life is that they're toys that come to life. And it seems like Amiibo in particular was designed to be a quality toys to life venture done the Nintendo way, not some cheap half-assed compromise to make NFC work or to make NFC cheap enough for them to sell. I don't think that pushing Amiibo in that direction, that sort of half-assed compatibility release approach uh, would be good for Amiibo as a brand. I think maybe making a separate card venture that uses NFC and maybe calling it Amiibo uh, might be a better approach as long as the cards themselves have some distinct value. Right, that's my thought too. I could see Nintendo making like detailed trading cards like for Pokemon example for or for other franchises. Hanafuda cards. But, yeah, go back to the roots. But I, if it's just going to be... If it's just going to be, you know, a card you buy specifically just to, you know, unlock content in your game and the card itself doesn't have any value, then, you know, what's the point? Just have it be a DLC. Don't don't have it be a, a physical card that you go to the store and buy and then scan it once and then the card's pretty much useless after that. Yeah. It'd be fun to have a Nintendo trading card game. Absolutely. Where the Amiibo cards are actually... You can play with them without using them digitally, or maybe you can play the Amiibo card game online. That might be something that I could... Sort of like how they took the idea of Pokemon battles and turned it into a card game. They could take the idea of Smash Bros. battles and turn it into an Amiibo card game. Right. It wouldn't be them selling a video game piecemeal. It'd be them selling a separate thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'm that, trying to that's... think of an Amiibo Hearthstone pun, and those words are just way too different. <laughs> 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 and I mean, card games are in their DNA too. So, we mm-hmm. you mentioned Hanafuda a little while ago. I don't know, if, but Hanafuda was their their roots, and they still make the cards today. So, I could see them seeing Amiibo Entertainment in a broader way that could include a card game. That would actually be a very Nintendo move to like to like dig up Hanafuda cards and then reintroduce them as part of their you know as part of what they do today. 
Yeah. Well, they say all the time, you know, they're not necessarily a games company. They're an entertainment company. Mm -hmm. So, you know, entertainment includes card games and their video games are popular ish. And so, you know, maybe a card game to go with that would be would be would be fun. Yeah. So let's talk about that uh, virtual console app. Um, What do you guys think about that? I kind of feel like I kind of feel like they're making steps toward making a game that's built around using Amiibo in the best way possible. But because they're really using them as a way to unlock games that already exist, they're not quite there yet. They're kind of, I feel like they're thinking about it and they're just kind of getting it wrong. Well, yeah, I'd say so too. Uh, Iwata said something in the the uh the meeting about how their vision for this virtual console thing is for the amiibo to be kind of like a replacement for a game cartridge and my reaction to that is why don't you just make them replacements for game cartridges why don't you just have (laughs) the amiibo unlock a virtual console game or unlock a steep discount on a virtual console game tied to that franchise Mm -hmm. character well, especially if you buy like a Link Amiibo for thirteen dollars, the Zelda one on the eShop is what three bucks, right? But like, uh, just come on, right? I I don't know that that necessarily is the the right approach, just because so many people who would be the kind of people to buy a Zelda Amiibo might already have Zelda on Virtual Console, but they get the least they could do is say, okay, we know you're interested in this franchise. We're going to be releasing more games that are part of this franchise. We'll give you a discount. It doesn't have to be a huge discount. It just should be something on this franchise. Maybe $5 for a $60 game, or maybe like $2 for a $5 virtual console game. I don't know. I don't know. I quite like the idea of just unlocking a virtual console game flat out, because to me, like it says, it says that there's an actual like gameplay reason like like a very very prominent one why you would buy an amiibo and you'd scan it into the wii u unlock like a full game uh, and it's a game that honestly most people who are gonna buy amiibo have owned in at least one way right like i can't tell you how many different versions of zelda one i've bought right i think that kind of model where an amiibo would unlock a virtual game but an old one an old one that most of us have probably played before that wouldn't really cost Nintendo much money to give away to one person for free anyway. Well, especially not when they're already paying $13. Exactly. And especially, like, you mentioned that, like, the kind of person who buys a Link Amiibo might also be the kind of person who already has Zelda 1 on Wii U. Then they just they just don't get a free game. They just, the game that they could get for free has already been paid for and too bad. Yeah, Maybe. I guess I'd just rather see that kind of perfect storm situation where Amiibo were released at the right time that not everybody had already bought into everything on Virtual Console. And so Amiibo would suddenly be this gateway for people to play a bunch of old games and share them maybe with their friends so their friends could maybe play temporarily off their Amiibo. Mm. You know, they obviously didn't, that didn't happen. They released Yeah, maybe have like one unlock code that like gets you a free copy of the game and then like five more unlock codes that you can scan on someone else's Wii U that get like that down that download like the demo automatically yeah well something Something where it's like it's only playable if you've actually scanned the amiibo in and then when you exit that session you might have to scan it in again to do the the uh, guest play or whatever right right Uh, because that's 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 the use case that you'd probably see is people want to want to share their game with their friends so they bring their amiibo over to their friend's house but uh i don't think this demo thing is going to have that same effect not not even close take something like earthbound what is the NES Amiibo going to be used for other than Smash Bros? Yeah. 
I that would give that it too. like a very clear value. Something that really gives it a purpose to exist. Because, you know, like the duck hunt amiibo is not going to be used for absolute, like for anything at all. But if it unlocked a copy of Duck Hunt on the Virtual Console, that would give people more of a reason to buy it besides just the collector's value. Oh, oh come on. You know they're going to add a Duck Hunt shooting gallery to Splatoon. <laughs> Only available Ooh. with the Duck Hunt amiibo. I don't know. I could see them. They'd have to shoehorn in the Well, in, obviously but, uh, the Ness yeah, amiibo is going to have point. value when they bring Mother 3 to America. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. And if you scan <laughs> if you scan in your Ness amiibo with Mother 3, though, you'll unlock Mother 1. <laughs> Don't unlock oh, a demo for Mother It hurts, life. doesn't it? You're tormenting me. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree. They're they're kind of leaving uh, potential on the table. Because yeah, what 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 else are these these small franchise amiibo going to be used for outside of Smash? And if they're the ones, if Nintendo are the ones who are leaving the potential on the table, then who's left to upend it? Well, they don't. Ha- we don't have another. <laughs> eh, right. <laughs> I caught the joke. <laughs> So, um, you know, we, we already know Amiibo have seen, like, phenomenal success, even with so many stock sh- or sh- stock shortages. Uh, so it only makes sense to me that uh, that Nintendo would want to promote the product line as, like, a major part of its brand moving forward, especially if we're going to see them licensing their IP to leverage their franchises into, like, a really dominant multimedia kind of thing. They mentioned, like, quote, aggressive IP licensing, and, uh, you know, we've, we've heard mumblings of, like, a Zelda TV series and, like... Um, uh, that Mario movie that's probably not happening at this point. But I think it would really make sense from a merchandising perspective to really push Amiibo very hard in that sense. Uh, because especially, you know, if someone like, if someone, say, like, goes out to see the Mario movie and they see before the movie an ad for Amiibo, like, you can get your favorite Mario figurine. Um, then they go to a store to buy a Mario Amiibo and they see, like, Villager and, like, uh, Marth and they're introduced to... Um, all these other franchises that Nintendo has to offer, I think that that could really be a an extremely effective way to leverage their their IP. If they go into a store and see a villager and a Marth amiibo, then they are very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though. Yeah, and not just from a merchandising perspective uh, or an IP perspective even, but it, it, it could be a good way to sell their platform because um, their platform has the NFC stuff built in, so their platform is already... Uh, amiibo ready they've even added it to new 3ds now uh, i don't know if you've made this connection but if you look at the new 3ds logo the new is styled yeah. after the <laughs> amiibo logo uh, so they they definitely see it as a, a core piece of their hardware value so everybody thank you very much for listening that is the end of this week but if you if you're just catching up with us you can catch last week's episode at itunes podbean you can see it on youtube uh you can see it here at gamnesia if you want to dig if you want to dig back in the archives um so be sure if you like this podcast to subscribe either on iTunes or YouTube. iTunes, you will get it on Wednesday. YouTube, you will get the the recap discussion on Thursday, and you will get the discussion 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 on Friday. Friday. Be sure if you like the podcast again to head to iTunes and leave a review. It really helps us with visibility. We really really appreciate it. You can go to gamnesia.com for more news, uh, more news on other aspects of the video game industry. You know, we got Microsoft, Sony, we got. We've got a couple mobile things. Um, And of course, more Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss here on the podcast today. And be sure to send us questions. You can send us questions to colin at gamnesia.com. Currently, we will be holding a question and answer block when we get enough questions 
that we can fill an entire block with. So uh, we will be doing those as well. Be sure to send us questions and also feedback if you you know you have something if you have something to say about the podcast, please say it and uh, we will we will embrace it with open ears, open arms, open hearts, open legs. Thank you guys so much for listening and we hope you have a wonderful week. I will address that point in one second. I just want to point out we currently have 666 YouTube subscribers. Nice. Good. <laughs>